<sighs> these times. This talk, this subject, maybe more than any subject that I've been presented to speak about, has challenged me and made me look really deeply. I was remembering decades ago, actually it was, that I used to have a t-shirt. And on the t-shirt it had three words. It said shalom, which is peace in Hebrew. It said salam, peace in Arabic, and then the English peace. And I loved wearing this t-shirt and I'd go out in the woods in my hikes and every once in a while I'd get a thumbs up from people or people would nod to me or people would go, yes. And one day a man came up to me and he looked at me and he said, do you really believe that? We are faced on this planet in these human forms with a long history a history of war, a history of oppression, a history of the wealthy ruling and having control over the impoverished. And here we are facing what seems like a huge divide to many of us. It might feel like as bad as it's ever been. And yet I remember coming into this world as a young girl in the South during the civil rights movement, and it was not pretty. In the middle of the Vietnam War, it was not pretty. And I realize now that these issues have been standing. They are long standing. So what do we believe? We talk every Sunday about a global vision. Edward beautifully started out this month, which is about wholeness. Speaking of that that is permanently present and whole. That source, that one life, that one consciousness, God, Spirit, the divine. Always here. Last week, our assistant minister, Reverend Russ, gave a beautiful talk. And he was speaking to that tendency to just want to go to the good, don't we? In fact, we're invited to see the good and give thanks for the good. And he said it's not enough to just see good. And so here we are looking at these times, all of these times. I was speaking recently about that line that we hear quoted. It's from Leonard Cohen. That everything has a crack in it. And that's, through what the light, that's what allows the light to get through. And I hear people talking about that. And people like that because we like the light. And we want to know the light's always there. But as a minister, because it's who I am, I have to invite us back to that crack. To face those things that we don't want to face because that's our entry into recognizing that light, to recognizing the divine presence. If we can't know it when it's hard, then of what use is our faith? We come here to reground in that oneness of life because that's what this teaching is, right? 
one thing happening. That's our first principle. And for me, that is the principle. There's one life and it lives in and through and as all of creation. Nothing. No one. No moment. No experience outside of this one. I recently went to our public library to get the book by Gabor Mate. Some of you might know him. He's a physician who works with trauma. And I'd been hearing about him, and I work with people with trauma, and I know the understanding of it, but I finally thought I need to go look at this because I keep hearing my friends and colleagues, people I really respect, talk about him. And while I was at the library, I always look at the recent arrivals. It's what I do. And I found a book called The One. And I picked it up to look at it. And it's written by a theoretical physicist. And so I took these two books home. And I started reading them. And Gabor is talking about trauma in this book called The Myth of Normal. I want to throw that out. I love that. The Myth of Normal. Life should be a certain way. This is what we're working towards. And he talked about trauma not as an event that happened to anybody, but really as that very young, primal defensiveness and ways of manipulating and being in the world to just protect our human self. And how it starts developing. And we've known this. And I've heard this for decades in my study of child psychology. I heard this. It starts developing in us in the womb. By what's happening with our mothers as we grow and develop. And it becomes really formed as we come into the world until we're about three to five. We develop a picture of how life is. And we develop, not by conscious awareness, we develop mechanisms, survival protections to deal with life. For those who grew up in very happy homes, there may be some out here, <laughs> who had perfect parents, Just this experience of becoming individuated and recognizing that we're separate from life, which happens naturally and normally in our human development. We have a reaction to that as a primal expression. How do I cope at this, as this sense of this individual separate from mom and dad and the world, safe and held, supported as we're held and supported in the womb? And then there's all the other stuff that doesn't feel so easy and wonderful. Little things, big things. And so Gabor's not looking at getting rid of or fixing those bad experiences. He's talking about how do we relax into, how do we meet that that's happening? So we can find that sweet resonance, so we can let go of the trauma reactions and the defendedness. And I want to add the ways of being, because we use our ways of being, don't we, to protect ourselves. 
We deny, we deflect, we distract, we consume as a way of not meeting what's right here in these times. What's right here in the feelings and the tenderness of being a human being. And then I started reading this theoretical physicist and he's going through the history of physics and how this understanding that's been rooted in the new science for a long time that there's only one Einstein spoke of this and he's going through and he's talking about all these physicists and he's bringing everything to this place that there's really just one thing it's amazing we know this, we believe this, don't we? Yes. We talk about it, but then finding it and rooting into it and remembering it and listening from it when things are challenging. Those things that are bumps in the night, just old memories and big feelings that come up as natural reactions. Does anybody have a story deep in them that still kind of comes up? We do. We have stories because they're, by their very nature, ground into us. They're habituated into us and they feel so real when they're present. And yet here this scientist and this physician are just, they're both speaking that same truth that there's only one thing. And can we relax into that? I caught an interview not long ago by, I uh, was with a, uh, a person that's very popular out in the culture, very beloved, does good work in the world. And I heard her say emphatically, the most important question, the most, she goes back, the most important question is what do I want? What do I want? And all of a sudden that struck me. Oh, there's the challenge. Because we're here from in this teaching of oneness. And at the same time, in Ernest Holmes, the founder of our teaching, says this at the end of his life. We get caught in the me and what I can have. And yes, we can certainly support. And I'm hoping that most of you or a lot of you have reached out in prayer and experienced life improving and things healing with prayer. What's going on in me? What do I want? It's a good thing to get clarified with. In the training to be a practitioner, we're invited to look at what's underneath that. What do I want? And what is it telling me about that deep seed it want and desire? Ernest Holmes says that everything in the universe is a reflection of consciousness. Everything. And culturally, historically, up until this time, I might say, we have been taught to want to ch change and fix the outer conditions. Have we not? 
to go after what we want, to get rid of what we don't want. And so here today we're talking about, in the name of wholeness, enriching the world. And so what is it that we're actually doing? What is the call of this teaching? Reverend Russ said, it's not enough to just see good. We have to meet what is. And then we have to do something. And I love that in our movement, we're starting to talk about taking action in the world. I remember an old quote I heard from uh, Gandhi when he said, those people who don't think that religion has anything to do with the world don't really understand what religion is. Our movement itself, and I've sp spoken this to you because we don't talk about this historically, that when we started out as a movement of oneness, of the godness that lives everywhere, the people and the leaders of this movement were engaged in world affairs. They were environmentalists. They were suffragettes. They were animal rights people. They were abolitionists. They knew that the work they were doing had something to do with the world. And they were participating. And then at the, some point in our early history, we started focusing on what can I have? So today, I want to invite us into that bigger perspective. That bigger perspective that Ernest Holmes spoke from the very beginning of his teaching. To listen from the we, the wholeness. To listen from the oneness of what is mine to experience and express. Because we, like this these times that we're living in, have been put here together. And so we are invited to stop and listen from a higher voice. I was listening to an interview by an astronaut. And many of you, if not all of you, have heard the stories of astronauts who have gone out in space and turned around and seen the earth. And one of the things that they experience and express is the wholeness and the beauty of planet earth. A planet Earth that truly has no borders, no separation. That we're living as one planet. And what this astronaut I was listening to said, Ron Garren said, what we need is a, to see ourselves as planetary. Because historically, we have been wired to see ourselves separate. Don't we see ourselves separate? We do. It's not a bad thing. It's not a broken thing. And then the culture has taught us and encouraged us. You are this individual. In the West, we are rugged individualists. And yet, here is this teaching that says, mm, not so much. Ernest Holmes says in the, his textbook, The Science of Mind, he says there are no individuals just individuated expression of the one so we're being called to listen to something that's beyond our human perceptions 
Everything we've been known and everything we've been taught. What is life? What is the wholeness? What is love, God, the divine, calling forth in me? That's the core of this teaching. That's the ground from which our activity happens. We often speak the words of the St. Francis prayer here. It's a beautiful prayer. By a beautiful spiritual teacher. A mystic. Make me an instrument of your peace. And the truth is, we're always instruments. Always, right? We're always instruments because we are a divine expression. It expresses through us in every moment. The question is, is our instrument tuned and aligned with the oneness? What are we expressing? We're always expressing. And so it's not that... We're not here to do stuff and there's a lot that can be done. And we're, but we're always doing something. And so what I want to invite us all back to is from whence am I doing? In thought, in word, in activity. Am I speaking from wholeness? In the textbook, Ernest Holmes speaks the words from the Bible teaching in Christianity. A house divided unto itself cannot stand. The great mystic in one of Ernest Holmes' teachers, Emma Curtis Hopkins, says, There is no mixture in God, no good and bad. And the more I have studied and read her over and over and over again and done my work, the more I really get what she's saying. That if we're going to stand in oneness as one thing. That we can't think and speak things that are outside of that. Because then our house is divided. You with me? I was recently with some old friends of mine. We were having dinner in a conversation that came up that was really uncomfortable and they both had experienced a pain and a hurt from somebody or had conflict with somebody that I, that I know and love. And they so, both started going on and on and on about how horrible this person is. And I know these people and I knew that if I went at them and just denied what they were saying or said you know, I disagree that I'd get pushback. And so I just sat there and listened. And at the end of when there's a pause, I said, and there's more to this person. And still there was pushback. I went home wondering if there was anything for me to say and do. And I prayed. What's mine here? Because I didn't want to argue with them. And I didn't want to make them wrong. Because they'd had some experience they believed. Even though it was an old experience. And by happen chance. They sent me a picture. 
of these two animals that lived in their house that were lovingly laying together head to head. These are two dogs that didn't really get along. And when I saw that sweet picture, I remembered a quote from The Course in Miracles, a quote that I love. The holiest spot on earth is where an ancient hatred has become a present-day love. And so I sent them that quote. No other words were spoken. I didn't say anything about what had happened the night before. They didn't really address it, and yet they felt like there was a shift. They both communicated with me. Didn't say, oh, you're right, or I'm sorry, or oh, wait a minute, I have to rethink this. But their conversation with me was somewhat of an acknowledgement that they had gone off on this person and it maybe wasn't appropriate. But what I had to look at is where do I have those stories? Do you have stories that you go off on yourself or something in the world? In these times, what are the stories that you have? Where are you picking sides against this person or that person, this situation or that situation? Because we do. Right? We do. And if I'm going to be a contribution to war, I can go march and I can vote, I can run for office, I can work and campaign in all sorts of ways in this world. I can serve in big ways and small ways. But the core of this teaching, Ernest Holmes invites us to shift our own consciousness. So the first thing I had to do is come back and shift my story. I had to stop the war that went inside my head that says there are people that are right and wrong, good and bad. There's a way that's the way it should be. To listen for something bigger. That stopping and listening is so simple. It's really our practice. Align with the oneness beyond human understanding. That's Ernest Holmes' definition of prayer. So simple. Stop. The complicated part is where we hold on to the stories and we believe them. Because they seem so real. And yet if we're going to realize, and I don't know how things are going to pan out on planet earth. But to be a contribution, I have to allow myself, as Gandhi spoke, to become that message. And then allow that to speak through me. And the way in is when I notice what I'm thinking and feeling and doing. Noticing when I'm thinking in opposition to oneness. Because we do. Not broken. Just the way we've been wired and programmed. I heard a neuroscientist speaking quite a while ago talking about the evolution of the human brain and how we are still mostly centered in the reactive brain. That that's where most of the messages come from. That there's all these messages going to the neocortex that go, alarm, alarm, not safe. 
and where our human brain is at this point in time is there aren't as many messages going from the neocortex to the amygdala going, taint so. You follow me? So we're on that cusp in these times. Can I stand in a bigger truth? Can I listen from a higher place than what my brain wants to tell me to do? Wants to tell me is true. One of my new teachers in the teaching of oneness, Rupert Spira, says, when we become awake to our oneness, we cease using the world for the sake of our happiness and start using our happiness for the sake of the world. Really, that's the radical nature of this teaching. To stop living from the outside in and start living from the inside out. Isn't it? That it comes from consciousness. Ralph Waldo Emerson, the great mystic in the beginning of Ernest Holmes' awakening in this teaching, said that when we embody that truth of oneness, a revolution will be set forth in our governments, in our industries, and in our education. We were made for these times. We've been wired and set forth to be that which we truly are, which is more than these separate selves. And yet our world... All the systems, the government, the industry, the haves and have-nots, the oppressors and the oppressed, all the systems of our world have come from that old thinking. They've come from the thinking of division and separation. And so here are the great mystics, and here are the scientists, here are the astronauts saying, there's just one. There's just one. And so we are invited to stop and touch that ground and listen deeper. Ernest Holmes talks about when we pray that before we even pray, we need to stop and listen for that that the divine wants to pray through us. Because some of you might know that there's not enough stuff. There's not enough adventures in life. There's not enough love outside to fill up that place. Ernest Holmes, back during the time of the Cold War, gave a talk and he talked about sacrificing the small to, for the large. We don't like that, sacrificing, giving up. What if what I'm told to do is inconvenient for me? And the one thing that I truly know from the experiences that have been given to me is that when we give it up for the one, we don't lose out. That we get a fullness and a fulfillment that's beyond anything that we can chase after in this world. 
And so we're invited to practice. We're invited to practice again till it becomes the way of our livingness. Thich Nhat Hanh, who, who uh, is a Buddhist monk who lived in the times of the Vietnam War. And he got exiled from Vietnam because he was marching and protesting in his peaceful way. He stand, stood in this understanding of engaged Buddhism that was being the active teaching in the world. And he said... We have to practice and practice till we see ourselves in every moment, every person, every situation. That's some deep practice. The other thing I have heard and learned from the astronauts is they talk about looking at the earth in that thin layer of atmosphere. We talk about the ozone, thin layer. That allows us to have life. Us and everything. And it reminds me of that fragility of this passing world. Our lives are so tender and fragile. And in Buddhism, as in this teaching, we talk about the preciousness and the sacredness of what's right here before us. And so in this holy season, this time of celebrating miracles and light, that enriching of the world and the big challenges that call us forth to engage, there is always in that call to just be it right here in every encounter on the road, while we're shopping, to see it and know it as we're watching the news, that preciousness and that tenderness of life. Because that's our entry and that's our ministry and that's how we start the revolution of seeing and expressing and awakening to wholeness and oneness. Let us pray. We stop together to recognize that one that is fully abiding here. A wholeness, a being that holds and wraps itself around and then fills everything, every particle and person, every moment, every experience of life comes from this one source, God, the divine spirit, named and unnamed. It is always fully present here. It is that that animates. It is that that informs. It is that that unfolds in and as creation. One unified field, one universe, one planet. One people. And it is that that is the very life of my life. No separation. No me apart from life. No me apart from that divine presence. It is all that I am. And it calls me home in prayer.
And it calls forth as prayer. And so I know it as the truth of each and every one here, each and every one hearing this word, each and every one with whom we share life. Everything that is happening is calling us home. And that home of our being, full, rich, awake, alive, peace, a love, a joy beyond human understanding. It is that that guides and directs us in all that is ours to think and to know, to speak and to do. It is forever calling us. It is forever moving and shifting through us. And it is forever meeting us every moment in every situation. And so we simply anchor in this awareness. We open and listen knowing that it is that that anchors and it is that that opens and it is that that sees ever more clearly in our thinking and our feeling, sees through our eyes beyond our human assessment, sees that holiness, that preciousness, that oneness of life, hears with new ears. We are here in this spiritual revolution of awakening. We are here living from this wholeness that by its very nature enriches and opens us more and more in this world. And so I take this time to know this truth. To call it forth in this new conscious moment called prayer. To know it is the all in all. And it is always here. Holy every whit present. As we listen anew. We open anew. We follow anew. Ever more closely. And I celebrate this knowing, oh, in these holy times, in the beauty and the horror, there is this one. God's beseeching, God's awakening, God's conspiracy to awaken, to evolve, to become more itself in our world. I celebrate this. And I know that it is known and done by that that knows and does all things. It is the source of all. And I know that it is truly abiding, fully known right in the very source of our being, the true essence of who and what we are whole right now. Held in the integral part of this one life. And so I simply let go. I let this be. And so it is. Amen.